You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, if you've got a Bible, come with me to John chapter 2, if you would. If you want a title for today, and it's in line with what we've just been sharing, and it's this, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And here we are at the wedding at Cana in Galilee, where Jesus turns the water into wine, and Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And they find themselves caught up in a miracle, and they find themselves caught up in a bigger picture of God doing something amazing. And I believe God is here at this point in us as a church and us as a people once again that we might be those that do whatever he tells us. This is what John writes, chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some out, sorry, and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And, and in a moment, we're going to look at the servants. The servants found themselves involved in this. But I want us to understand something here, which is that there is a bigger picture going on that maybe we would first realize. I'm going to try and unpack it briefly. And the reason I want us to see there's something bigger is because always when God asks us to trust Him, there is something happening that's immediate and there's something happening which is on another level, which is happening on a bigger plane. You See, this is a really interesting miracle. The Bible says this is the first miracle that Jesus did. And yet, at face value, it's a strange miracle. You know, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? It's like Jesus steps in and seems to be just rescuing somebody from social embarrassment. It also seems strange because he says, his, his mother Mary says, you know, they've run out of wine. And he says, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And it looks as though he said, there's not time for me to do a miracle. But then he seems to change his mind and do a miracle. It also seems a bit strange because he provides so much wine. It almost seems incongruous with, with the rest of Scripture. So I don't know about you, if you've ever read this, I thought this is a bit of a funny one, and yet it's his first miracle. And yet we have to understand this. You see, John, out of the 35 miracles that Jesus does as recorded in the Gospels, he only records seven. 
And he records seven and he calls them not miracles, but signs. He said, this is a sign. And he says at the end of, of his gospel, he said, there were many more signs that Jesus did, but, but I've written these here that you may believe that he's the Messiah. John is trying to show us something here. And yet we've got a miracle, which maybe we've never properly understood. If you want to go deeper into this, I suggest looking at the work of Tim Keller on this miracle, which is really, really powerful and profound. You see, I believe something deeper is happening here. I believe something is being revealed to us if we'll just dig a little bit deeper. Jesus is not just rescuing someone from social embarrassment. He's revealing something about who he is. You see, here he is and he's at a wedding. You see, it's interesting because if Jesus does a first sign, he comes onto the scene, does a first sign, you might wonder if he, he might be saying something about who he is. He might be declaring something about his nature or his mandate or he might even be speaking about the destination of where is to come and yet we see this wedding and he just, you know, the, the, the groom's embarrassed because he's undercated and Jesus bails him out. Well, actually, I think something greater is happening here. I don't know if you go to a wedding and you sometimes, if, if you think about your own wedding, if you, if you got married, you probably go as a guest to a wedding, you maybe think about when you got married. Maybe you're not married yet, and you go to a wedding, and you wonder if you will get married, and who you'll get married to, and what that will be like. That's often what happens. And here, Jesus is at a wedding, and Mary asks him a question, and by implication, she asks him to do what the bridegroom should do. You see, it's the bridegroom's job to provide the wine. We know that because when the master of the banquet gets it, he pulls the groom aside and said, most people bring out the cheap wine last, but, but you, he said, but you have saved the best to last. You see, it's the bridegroom's job to provide the wine. So Mary says, you know, we've run out of wine. And, and, and Jesus says, you know what, why do you involve me? My, and get this, my hour, let's all say hour. My hour has not yet come. He doesn't say, it's not time for me to do a miracle. He says, my hour has not yet come. The reason that's important is if you look at the word hour in John's gospel, it's a very important word. The, the hour of Jesus relates to his death. In chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, chapter 13, we, we hear about the hour, Jesus' hour. And, and his hour relates to his death. And yet he says here, she says, will you provide wine for the wedding by implication? He says, but my hour hasn't come. He's saying, it's not time yet for me to die. What on earth is going on here? Why would he think about this? Well, I think actually he is speaking about something of a destination. You see, if you go all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, guess what's happening in Revelation 19 and 20? There is a wedding there's a wedding. So the end game is a wedding. It's the bride to the bridegroom. In fact, John, John the Baptist, in the next chapter, he calls Jesus the bridegroom. This is really interesting. You see, loads of people have been following John the Baptist, and they're now going over to Jesus, and someone makes a comment to John the Baptist, and he says, this is good. This is good, because he says this, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And he says, I am just like a friend of the bridegroom. He calls Jesus the bridegroom. Who is the bride? My friends, the church is the bride of Christ. Hello? That this, is, this is the picture of the New Testament, that we are being prepared, Ephesians calls us, a radiant bride. 
God is building a church, a people, the bride of Christ, to be reunited with the bridegroom. Interestingly, in the previous chapter, John calls him, John the Baptist calls him the bridegroom in chapter three. In chapter one, he calls him the lamb. He says, look, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in between the lamb and the bridegroom, we get this wedding picture. Revelation 19 says, let us rejoice and be glad. Give the glory to him because the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Do you, can you imagine Jesus is giving us a sign here? that he is a bridegroom. And he shows us that he's a bridegroom by then stepping in and doing what the bridegroom should do. But if you think about it, he links it to his hour because the, the wedding of the lamb is only possible because of the death of the one who is the bridegroom. Hello? I know this is deep, stay with me, but if you look and you dig in, how does he perform the miracle? How does he bring forth the wine? He does it by saying there's some jars there and the Bible records to us, they are ceremonial cleansing jars. Wow. They are the jars used to prepare people to go into the presence of God. And what happens is Jesus says, use them. Put water in, and what happens is, you see, in the old covenant, people were made cleansed from the outside to go in, but in the new covenant, there's wine in there, which we will be cleansed from the inside out in order to enter into the presence of God. He also, he makes way too much wine. This isn't to get everybody drunk or let the party go on for another 10 days. Is, is something being said here that this is for everyone? If you calculate the gallons and the pitches, it's 900 bottles of top-rate alcoholic wine. Who knows that's too much? Who also knows that the new wine, the language of new wine in the Bible, which can mean a number of things, but it means the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus makes new wine in order that we might come to the wedding feast of the lamb, it's a sign. Now, uh, um, we, could, we could do three weeks on this miracle, right? Some of you are going, oh, wow, wow, I didn't get that. Uh, all I want you to get really is this, there's a bigger picture. There's a, there's a I actually, you know, you dig into this word, it's like, I never, I never saw that. I never saw, what? something deeper is happening that seems to be happening at face value. John calls it a sign. I believe it's a sign that Jesus is a bridegroom. I believe it is a sign that he's preparing a bride in the earth. I believe it is a sign that he's gonna cleanse us from the inside out. I believe it's a sign that by his hour coming, his death on the cross, he is preparing a bride for himself. I believe it's a sign that he's the one through whom the Holy Spirit is poured out on the earth. This is a sign. And yet in the middle of it, there are some servants that just get asked to do something. And this is where I want to focus our attention for a few minutes here today and make four observations. The first observation is this in terms of the servants. Number one, he called for their obedience to carry out his plan. He called for their obedience. You see, he's on with a plan. This looks at first instance like an accidental miracle. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time. His mom gets him in broad. No, there's a plan here. There's way too much happening in here of significance. This is planned and yet he could have just spoken to the jars, right? He could have gone over himself and touched the jars, but he doesn't. He involves the servants. He tells them to do certain things and they get involved in the outworking of his plan. Let me tell you, friends, this is how God works. 
Read your Bible from start to finish. God is on with a plan. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for our city. God has a plan for our nation. God has a plan for the nations of the earth, and yet he will bring it about by the obedience of his people because that's how he always does it. And here we see that this miracle takes place because of the obedience of certain people. And why am I saying this? Because actually in our lives, we might get provoked to obey. You might get provoked, you might get the God prod this week to speak to someone on your course at uni or, or somebody in the office where you work or the, the place where you live to share something about Jesus. And your obedience, you might be provoked to step out of your comfort zone, to do something, to step out in faith, to say something, to pray for somebody, to, to show some compassion to someone in need, to offer to pray for someone. And it might be your act of obedience is the outworking of God's plan. Because this is what God does. And we heard an amazing story this week from the, the recent, the, the last year's Winter Night Shelter project. But I want to, before I get to that, just backtrack a little bit. You see, five years ago, there was a question as to whether the churches in the city could put on a winter night shelter by working together and save those that are, no, that are homeless and on the street over the winter. And, and we were invited to be a part of some meetings, and there were some civic leaders and some representatives from some churches in that room, and, uh, and, and Esther went along. And I remember coming back because there was such a, there was such a will to do something. Everyone was saying, we must do something, we must respond. But then when it came to, this is going to need funding, nobody at the table had any money. And at that time, we as a church, we didn't have a mortgage on this building. We, we, we're in a financial challenge. And Esther came back and said, I hope you don't mind. I, I said we'd put 3,000 pounds in. Now, 3,000 pounds in the big scheme of things is not a lot of money. But at that time, it was a lot of money. And I said, it's great. And, and, and so this church seeded the project. Within an hour, I got a phone call from Bishop Christopher saying, I've heard a, a rumor that CLM are putting 3,000 pounds in. I said, that's right. So he said, well, we, we'd better at least match that. And I said, I think you should. And uh, so, so they, they put some money and they probably put a lot more in. And, and the whole thing got off the ground by the grace of God. You know, hundreds of decisions of obedience. People said, I'm going to get involved in this project. I'm going I'm to serve the, the neediest in our city. I'm going to do a shift overnight. I'm going to inconvenience myself to make this happen. But we heard a story this week of a, a, a client from last year's service who arrived at the project homeless, jobless, and alcoholic. But through the love and care of the people in the project, they helped him to access rehab, and he got himself clean. They helped him through some move-on funding to, to, at the end of the project, get into some housing. And they helped by working with him and an agency to get him into work. And several months on, he's still dry. He's still working. He's still in his home. And because his life has got back on track, he's been able to be reunited with his kids. How awesome is that? And who, who knows? That makes me happy. That's so cool. And, and yet, who knows? God had a plan for his life. God's got a plan for that guy. Uh, and who knows what God's plan is through him to, to do. I don't know what God's going to do, but God's got a plan because he's always got a plan. And yet it came to pass because of the acts of obedience of several people. It came to pass partly because you know, Esther was able to say, well, well, we'll seed this thing. We're, we're, let's not stall here and just step out. 
And what can happen, you know, even in the process we're coming to next week, we can be provoked into obeying the Lord to do something. It might be a stretch. And yet what happens is we can find ourselves part of God's plan, outworking what God is doing directly or indirectly. Secondly, he put the miracle through their hands. I love this about God. I love how he does this. You know, Jesus, he could have just gone up and touched the jars, right? They would have filled up with wine straight away. Let's cut out the water. Jesus, couldn't he? Jesus could have done this. You know what? what and, yet, and yet he involves the servants. He loves to do this. I love it in the, the, the recording of the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke's gospel where it says, Jesus gave thanks to God and he broke the bread. This was the, the little boy's lunch as we heard about last Sunday. And, and he said, and he gave it to the disciples to distribute. I love that. What does that mean? That means that at the end of it, when 5,000 people have been fed and there's 12 basketfuls left over, they're looking at their hands going, what just happened? They didn't just watch him do it. They were part of it. This is what happens. God loves us to be part of it. He wants to put the miracle through your hands. This is why he involves you and, and invariably it takes us a step of faith to do something, to be involved in the miracle. Here, the, the servants, they're asked to do certain things and they do it and they find themselves involved in a miracle. I, I find it hard to believe that they weren't impacted by that. I find it hard to think that, that they didn't look at that and go, what just happened here? I, I love it because it, it records the story. It says the master of the banquet didn't know where it had come from, but the servants, first line, but the servants, they knew. They knew. How did they know? Because they'd done it. They'd filled the jar up and they'd taken it. They'd seen. There's no trickery here. There's, no one had put some wine in. They, they'd done it. They knew what had happened. And, and we know when we're involved. And God wants you to be involved that you may know for yourself, not someone else's testimony, but your testimony. This is what God does. It's how he works. I, I was telling the, the guys, a student, connect in the week about the first time that I had the privilege of praying for someone who got healed physically. This girl was at my university who had an issue with, with in her legs where if she ran, she, uh, she was in excruciating pain. Uh, and so obviously she was unable to run, but no one could diagnose what it was. And I remember being asked to pray for her and gathering some others and we prayed and she said, I can feel burning. I feel like I'm on fire. She felt burning past from her body, from her head, all the way through to her feet. It doesn't always have to work like this, but it did on this occasion. And she said, I've been healed. I know I've been healed. And the next day, she, she had a physio appointment to help her with her legs. And she ran to her physio appointment, taking in two laps of the university running track to go and say, I'm not going to need this appointment or anymore because Jesus has healed me. Wow, it was, so, it was so amazing, but also not out of no sense of pride, but just awe of saying, Lord, you used us. And I came to understand that God wants to use me. Because he did, in his grace, with all my frailties and hang-ups and failures, that, that God wanted to use me. This is what God does. He delights to put the miracle through your hands. You know, I find it hard to imagine that, that those servants weren't impacted. I wonder if some of them were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost in the 120, when the new wine of the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, and they could say, we were there. We were there when the water got turned into wine. It was a sign of the one who is coming. I don't know, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but I know you get impacted when he puts the miracle through your hands, but you have to step out 
and obey. I love Gabriel's testimony in this little booklet where he talks about his own journey uh, and says, looking back, that pledge that made me uncomfortable last year allowed me to develop a whole new level of trust in God and see him truly as my provider no matter what season of life I'm in. What's he saying? He's like, I came to know something of God for myself this last year because I stepped out. It was uncomfortable. I sensed it was God. There was peace and there was faith, but I was scared. And yet God came through and I've come to know something about him because he put a miracle through his hands. This is what God does. Thirdly, he got them involved in his big picture. You know, I wonder some of them, they, they were just being obedient at the time, right? And at another level, they found themselves involved in a miracle where water gets turned into wine. But I wonder if years later, they understood this wasn't just a miracle. This was a sign. This was saying something about who God is. Sometimes further down the line of life, we look back and go, Lord, I thought you were doing something. But actually, I didn't realize you were doing so much more. We've been talking the last, the last few weeks about the... the the maths of the kingdom, which is not addition, but multiplication. You know, we, we sow into the kingdom. We respond to God. We act in obedience. We do whatever he tells us. And sometimes we, we're involved in something and we see God at work and we go, wow, that was awesome. But then years later, we actually see the impact of what God has done through that life. As we've been saying, a transformed life transforms lives. I was thinking about a friend we've got called Rob. And Rob was a teacher. He was in his mid-twenties and he felt the Lord speaking to him. This is years ago. He felt the Lord speaking to him about coming out of normal education and starting a Christian school. And his pastor sensed God was speaking to them. And so they're wrestling with this journey of faith. Is this God and should we do it? And who knows when you're, when you're in one of those places, do whatever he tells you. And yet it seems crazy. And so they're wrestling with this thing. But what happened is they took a step of faith. They had nowhere to meet and they had no kids. But he resigned from, I mean, in the school. They had, so, but he resigned from his job and they started this school. They announced they're going to do it. And I'm not making any comment on the rights or wrongs of, of Christian schools. But, but what happened is hundreds of children passed through this school and were impacted, were shaped, learned to worship, understood God's value of them was shaped by a different identity paradigm to what we get in, in normal education in our schools. And, you know, looking back, he could say there were hundreds of lives, but also one, one of the lives that got impacted was, was a young lad who, who was having trouble at his school and his parents were looking for a school that had high-end pastoral care and valued the individual. And because of the ethos of this particular school, even though as a family they weren't Christian, they put him in the school. And he was so impacted by the school that the family came to church and the whole family got saved. And a little bit later, the, the dad of the family, he was part of a company and he got offered to be part of a management buyout of that company, which he did. And then a few years later, he sold his share and made a, a massive amount of money. But because Jesus had changed their hearts, they sowed generously into the kingdom. And, and that family were able to sow into a work in northern Ghana, which impacted unreached people, people who hadn't really been reached with the gospel. And they're able to establish a school and establish a hospital. And thousands of people in northern Ghana got impacted because there was resource to make it happen. Now, here's the thing. 
Rob, I'm just, I've not talked to him about this, but, but I know what it's like. I imagine at that time he's thinking, Lord, are you really speaking to me? Lord, can we do this? And you know if the Lord had shown up and said, Rob, let me show you the end game. You're not, not only is it going to work, you're going to see hundreds of lives impacted for the gospel. You're also going to see a family get saved. And that family are going to go on to impact thousands of people around the world. And you're going to be, this decision is going to be a part of it. Who knows that he would have said yes in a heartbeat. But what he was probably saying was, I don't know if we'll be able to pay the mortgage. Hello? And my point is that as we come, like these servants, they, they just filled the jar. They just, they just took some to the master of the back. They just obeyed. And yet they found themselves caught up in a miracle. They found themselves caught up in a big picture. One of the most profound miracles and signs recorded in Scripture because this is how God works. When we obey, we get involved in God's big picture. Sarah. Fourthly, he revealed his glory as they did what he told them. You know, the Bible tells us at the end of this story, verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. My friends, God is in the business of revealing his glory. God wants to reveal his glory in your family. God wants to reveal his glory in your life. I believe God wants to reveal his glory in the place where you work. I have a passion and a vision that God would reveal his glory in schools around our city, in our universities, in halls of residence, in lecture halls, in Walsgrave Hospital, in JLR, in some of the the great employers and places of our city, in the poorest of the places and the most affluent of our places. Who knows that God wants to reveal his glory? Is there not a cry of Isaiah 40, prepare the way of the Lord? Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. I believe God wants to reveal His glory in and through us as a community. You might be here today and you're not even sure where you are in faith. You might be struggling for a a thousand reasons right now. But let me tell you, God is in the business of revealing His glory. And if you will only do what He tells you to do, He wants to reveal His glory in you and through you. Because this is what He's in the business of doing. Revealing His glory in the earth. Oh God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And I pray, God, that this house would be a house of glory. That, Lord, you would cause us as a people to shine, to shine your light. That a world may see that you alone are God. And we pray, Lord, that as you work in us and through us, as we respond, as we do whatever you tell us to do, you'd reveal your glory little by little in the ones and the twos and the tens and the twenties and the hundreds and the two hundreds and the tens of thousands and the twenties of thousands. Lord, in our nation, Lord, at this key time in our nation, we pray, God, you would reveal your glory. We pray for thousands of souls to be saved. We pray for powerful miracles, signs and wonders to happen in our day that point to Jesus as King. We ask, Lord, would you help us to do whatever you tell us to do. Help us to play our part in it because we can't reveal your glory in and of ourselves. We can only respond to your leading and tap into your bigger picture and your bigger plan. But as we do it, 
we pray, kingdom come, will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, why don't we stand together? I wonder if we could take a moment just to close our eyes around the room because there might be somebody here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never responded to this one who is the master of the banquet. Today, you might not understand all that you've heard. You might not grasp the fullness of the Christian message, but you know this, you need to put your life right with God. And you believe this, that Jesus is the way that you can do it. And I wonder if across this room, we could just, for the sake of privacy, close our eyes and and bow our heads. But if that's you, you know you need to give your life to Jesus. You've never done anything like this before. I wonder if you would raise your hand high in the air and say, would you pray for me? I need to give my life to Christ. Wonderful. Wonderful. Anyone else? You need to make your life right with God. Just raise your hand high so I can see. Yeah, young man, I've seen you. can take your hand Yes, near the back, wonderful. Anyone else? Just raise your hand so I can acknowledge you. Yes, here near the front, I've seen you. Thank you. Anyone else? You need to make your life right with God right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Yes, I see. I see you at the back in the white shirt. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've raised your hand, this is for you. And I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to pray a line and and pray and mean it with all of your heart. And know that God who formed you and fashioned you, who loves you and has a plan for you, He hears your prayer. In fact, if you're a Christian, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud too to help our friends who are responding today. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking all my sin and shame. I ask you to forgive me for everything I've done wrong in every way that that I am unclean. And I pray, come now and make me clean from the inside out. Take my sin far from me. Renew me. Lord Jesus, I trust you. And I ask you, give me your Holy Spirit to come and live in me, to help me to follow you. I pray in your name. Amen. Let's pray for our friends. Lord, I thank you for every person that has responded here in this moment. Lord, that this would be a game-changing moment in their lives, but they would go from strength to strength in you. They would know the joy of salvation. They would know, God, that you are for them and not against them. And they would sense a change in the transformational power of the Spirit, transforming them from the inside out from this moment onwards. We pray in your precious name and all God's people say, Amen.